Well, good morning. Welcome to Crosspoint. Glad you're here with us this morning. Uh, my name is Kyle. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, just real quick before we start, uh, hopefully you had a chance to kind of get the lay of the land out there. Uh, got to see all the cool stuff that Crosspoint's doing over the Christmas season leading up to Christmas Sunday. And uh, I would just really encourage you, I just wanted to take a quick minute and just really encourage us to uh, take advantage of all of these things that are set up for our church to participate in. Uh, there's been this awesome team of people who have spent all kinds of time and effort and creativity putting all this stuff together, and it's just really, really great. And it's not, it's not all put together just because like, oh, cool, let's put lights up, it's Christmas, or let's just decorate because it's Christmas. All of these things were thought out to create deeper connection among our church family and even those outside of our church family. So, man, utilize them. Take a ride on the sleigh with some people maybe you don't know very well. Uh, take advantage of the photo booth, the activities that are out there. Um, get a friend, bring them down here in the evening to watch the light show. It's a pretty sweet light show. My family and I, we went driving around searching for good, like, light shows in Modesto. Modesto was left lacking, I'm just going to say. But that, that thing is sweet, and that thing is awesome. So, man, come down here, enjoy Utilize this time because we can grow deeper together in that gospel community where we might have a lot of things different than each other, but we all have Jesus, and, and uh, that's what all this stuff is for. So really utilize that um, because I think it's a, it's a real great opportunity for us. And uh, so there's all that great stuff out there, and uh, there's also a lot of cool things happening in here as we're leading up to Christmas. And uh, I'm excited for this series that we are working through as we head toward Christmas Sunday. And it's a series called God With Us Forever. And uh, that's just, that's the definition of that word, Emmanuel. And the term Emmanuel is one that we hear a lot. Like if you grew up in church or you've been around church, like really any amount of time, like you've heard that word said, especially around Christmas time. Pops up in our carols and songs. It pops up in uh, kids' lessons and sermon series and It's one of those words you can just put on a wreath and hang on your door and all of a sudden it looks classier. You know, like it pops up a lot. But it's one of those those words, and and maybe you can uh, resonate with this. It's one of those words that even though we've heard it a bunch and we we know what it means, it means God with us forever, um, sometimes we still don't quite really grasp like what it actually means. Um, For me, growing up, uh, I heard that word spoken so many times so early on that I never really like figured out when it was appropriate, when the timing was appropriate, I never really figured out like what that actually meant. And by the time I got to my preteens, like teenage years, it's like, oh no, the time has passed. I can't ask now, right? <laughs> like I've been using this word all throughout my childhood. It's too late to ask. And I think that that can happen sometimes with these incredibly significant, powerful words and phrases we read in scripture all the time Sometimes we hear them so often and for so long that, that it loses some of its power, at least from our perspective. And so I'm really grateful that we have the opportunity here on Sunday mornings to walk through this phrase, God with us forever, this name that was given to Jesus of Emmanuel, and really slowly just pick it apart word by word. And I believe that it has some powerful, powerful truth for us as we, as we take the time to do that leading up to Christmas. And so last week, Matt started off this series by spending some time defining, maybe reminding us just who this God is that we're talking about, who this God is that is described as Emmanuel. 
and he nailed home the reality that it matters significantly who is with us as we walk through life. And in fact, who is with us has great bearing on how we walk through life. And that Jesus is God. He's the word, like Matt talked about last week. He is all-powerful creator and sustainer and redeemer. And that, that is who saw fit to come and to be with us, to come and become one of us. So it matters who is with us immensely, but I also believe it matters how he chooses to be with us. I think it matters how God enacted this incredible plan of redemption for each and every one of us. Um, What was going through the head of the God of all creation as he made the choice, decided to wrap himself up in skin and bones? I believe that, that how God came to be with us says a lot about who he is. I think it says a lot about how he feels about us, and it has significant bearing on how we live our lives. Because this is the reality that I kept getting struck with, and this is the reality I've been kind of wrestling through. There is a big distinction between being with us and being with us. And you're like, that is so confusing. That makes no sense. You just said the same phrase twice in a row. What do you mean there's a distinction between being with us and being with us? Let me, let me uh, frame it like this. Let me uh, maybe add a little bit of clarification here. Um, I really am grateful for technology. I, I'm really gr- gr- grateful, g- 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 grateful for all the advancements in technology and all the things that it brings to the table. It's, uh, it's awesome. It's offered us so many incredible things. Yes, there's pitfalls. Yes, there's things we need to be aware of and careful of, for sure. But it's also brought so many great things into our lives. And I'm really grateful for how easy technology has made connecting with people, especially people who aren't close to us. It's amazing that we have an ability to have relationship interaction with people who are really anywhere on the planet as long as they have an internet connection. That's a pretty amazing thing, right? And it's one of those things, like, we take it for granted, we get mad if it's not, like, the clearest video and the quickest connection, but, I mean, you go in the past 15, 20 years, you know, those things didn't exist, right? And communicating, having a relationship, being with people who weren't right where you are was really difficult. It was a really hard thing to accomplish, you know? We were left to write letters and maybe an email and maybe you could get them on the phone, but there was phone cards and it was complicated and it was expensive, It was hard to be with people, especially people who are far away from us. Even uh, 10 or 11, maybe 12 years ago, I remember I was finishing up my time at college, and Megan had already graduated. She's a year older than me, and she was living in India for six months. And I remember even just a short decade ago, it was so difficult for us to connect and be able to communicate. We really were like stuck writing letters. She didn't have internet connection well. FaceTime, Skype was kind of just becoming a thing. We didn't really have access to it. And so I remember we were stuck trying to buy these phone cards and talk to each other. And it was a different time where she was and where I was. And it was hard to find a place to talk to each other. It was just difficult. It was difficult to have relationship. It was difficult to be with each other. Fast forward to now, it's insanely easy, right? Probably every, most people in this room, you have a device in your pocket that you can take out and literally pull up any loved one's like face and have a real-time conversation with them right here. And now, that's incredible. That's an incredible advancement in technology and one I'm really grateful for because some of you may know this, some of you may not, 
uh, Megan and I, we don't have any family here in Modesto. We moved to Modesto to work at Crosspoint. Now, we have great friends, and we call them family. They're friend family, you know. We have great people in our lives, and so we're not lacking in that. But none of our, like, blood family live here. None of them live in Stanislaus County. And to the best of my knowledge, nobody from either side of our family lives in California. If they do, my parents purposely left them out of the conversation for some reason. But I don't know of anybody in this state that is part of our family. So we're kind of on our own. Um, I think the closest closest relative we have lives in Vancouver, British Columbia, up in Canada. So, so just get this full picture here. My parents live in Wyoming. My brother and his wife live in Oklahoma. Megan's family, her parents, they live in New Brunswick, Canada, which is on the East Coast, Canada. Uh, she has a sister that lives in Haiti. She has a sister that lives in South Korea. And she has a sister that lives in Vancouver, British Columbia. So we are all over the place, right? And anytime we want to be with each other, there's huge cost attached to it. Like it takes a ton of time, a ton of effort, and a ton of travel, and a ton of money to, to have any kind of relationship like actually being with each other. And that's why I'm so grateful for technology, because we are able to keep up that relationship um, through video chat. It's great that, that my kids aren't like forgetting what their grandparents look like, because we can pull them up on live video chat, and we can have some sort of interaction with them. And, uh, and that's kind of been the deal. We've been separate, kind of separated out quite a long time. And uh, when my oldest daughter, Abby, was born and when she started to grow up a little bit and it was important for her to, you know, talk to her relatives and stuff like that, uh, she affectionately referred to one of Megan's sisters, who we hardly ever get to see, she affectionately referred to her as the aunt in the box. Because the only time that she ever saw this aunt was outlined by a computer screen or by a cell phone, you know? So she was the, she was the aunt in the box. And we thought that was funny. We all laughed at it, but Laura, the name of this sister, uh, Laura cried about it. And the reason that she cried, which you can, you can imagine, is like there is something different between having a relationship with someone through a video chat, spending time with someone through a video chat, and actually being able to be with someone, right? There's a, there's a big difference there. We get to know them a little bit over chat, over video chat. We get to spend a little bit of relationship with them, but there's something significantly different between that and actually looking at someone in the eyes, actually holding someone, actually giving someone a hug. My parents talk to us all the time. We, we talk to them quite often on video chat. My kids get to, get to talk to them. They get to talk back. But you better believe that a few weeks from now, when we fly to Wyoming for some time after Christmas, you better believe that when we get off the plane and we see them in the airport, that's going to be a very different scenario, right? Very different uh, scenario of us being with them. I'm reminded of this one time a number of years ago. We just had one kid at this time. Uh, we were spending Christmas with Megan's family in New Brunswick. We were living in Nova Scotia at the time, and neither one of those things means anything to you, but they're close together. So we went there for Christmas. That's the point of all of that. So we went there for Christmas, and all of Megan's family was there except for poor Laura, the aunt in the box, all right? Except for poor Laura, she wasn't able to be there because she lived in Haiti. She wasn't able to get back for Christmas, but everybody else was there. A couple grandkids in the mix, Megan's family, Megan's siblings. 
And we were doing all the classic Christmas stuff, you know, eating good food, hanging out, open presents, playing games, drinking coffee, all that good stuff. And uh, I remember there was this one moment where Laura called and Megan's mom pulled her up on the iPad and she was like, hey, Laura, how's it, do- how's it going? We're, we're talking to each other, enjoying each other's company. And, and Megan's mom gets ready to kind of close it out because we're going to do some other things. And, and Laura's like, hey, mom, do you think it would be okay if you just like left the video chat up and just like set me in the corner so I could just watch things, watch everything that was happening here? I felt like half the room was like, oh. The entire first service was like, oh. And I was like, am I a horrible person? Because all that I can think is to laugh at that. Because that's ridiculous. That she was like, can you just like tape me up on the wall so I can just be a part of things? You know, that would be really great. And so she did. She set her up on a, on a chair. And she kind of watched us all do Christmas family things together. And at first, you might think like, oh, that's really nice, right? Like, oh, that's a nice thing that they were able to do from. I don't know if I'm a bad person, but it was just weird. It was so uncomfortable, and it didn't feel natural, and it was just strange because she was with us, but she wasn't really with us, right? She got to see a piece of what we were doing, and we got to see a piece of what she was doing, but she wasn't there participating. And so there's this big distinction from between her being with us and her actually being with us. And it's not a perfect example, so don't like chase it down like a theology rabbit hole, but like that that's kind of the scenario that we're presented with just before Jesus comes onto the scene. We see all throughout the Old Testament, there's all these manifestations of pieces of who God is that he shows to his people, right? We see him show up in a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke. We see him show up as, as a storm on the top of Mount Sinai as he gives his commands to Moses. We see him show up as in a burning bush. We see him show up in all of these different ways that communicate different parts of who he is. And all through all of these snapshots is what we could call them. All through all these snapshots of who God is and his character, there's this underlying thread that one day, one day God would show himself fully to his people. What we know and what we can see from really the very beginning of scripture is hints and foreshadowing that this perfect God would make himself fully known and make things right between himself and the very people who turn their back on him. You go all the way back to the very beginning of Scripture, Genesis chapter 3, like immediately after Adam and Eve make their decision to rebel against God, to be deceived by the snake, to eat the fruit, like immediately after that, chapter 3, verse 15, God has this conversation with the snake. It goes like this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head while you strike at his heel. It's the first mention It's the first mention of how God would show himself fully to his people. And from this point on, there was this growing, like looming promise of what would eventually be referred to as the coming Messiah, the one that would come to set everything right, to bring us back to that perfect relationship that God had with Adam and Eve, the one that they got to experience. And all throughout the Old Testament, we see these Examples, definitely imperfect examples, but examples in lives of central characters and scripture that all point to the coming of something better, the coming of the Messiah. We see every law and command seem to point to something more 
that would be fulfilled in the Messiah. We see prophecies that would describe the Messiah. And then in Matthew chapter 1, we get our first concrete look at how God decided to fully show himself to his people, how God decided to be with us. We get our first clear look at how this writer of wrongs, this king of kings, this one who would bring us back would enter the world. And I got to be honest, I doubt anyone expected it to go down like this. We're going to read a passage together from Matthew chapter 1. You're welcome to turn there if you want. It's okay if you don't. You can just listen along. But Matthew chapter 1, we're going to start reading verse 18. Here's what it says. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. That's kind of all the information we get in the account from Matthew. But if you go over one gospel to the gospel of Luke, we get a little bit more in-depth picture at that interaction, how the angel Gabriel came to Mary and said, Mary, don't be afraid. I have a really important thing for you. You're going to be carrying the son of God. And, and, and trust, trust God as you walk through this, paraphrasing, obviously. And, and, and Mary does, to her, to her credit. She trusts God, and, and she gets behind how God would enter this world. Joseph has a little bit of a harder time, which we read about in verse 19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, because he was a good guy, he was unwilling to put her to shame. Resolved to divorce, so he resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. John chapter 1, which Matt read a larger portion of that last week, but I want to zero in just on verse 14, words it like this. The word, God, Jesus, the word became flesh, became a human being, and made his dwelling among us, came to live here on this earth. We have seen his glory. This is the best picture we have received so far of who God is. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. God decided to be with us through this Fancy theological word that we're going to that we're going to define here. It's a word used in church circles called the incarnation. Now, the incarnation—it's not like a special word to the Christian faith. It pops up in mythology, it even pops up in some other world religions. But if you were to go to look up a definition, basically what it means is it's a god or a deity who becomes a human being. Now, in almost every other instance where you see an incarnation happen. Uh, they have bad motivation. They're either being punished for something or they're coming to like cause problems or they're coming to uh, like fulfill some sort of desire. But what we see in the one true God, in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, is he came to enact this incredible mission of rescue for each and every one of us. This is how God saw fit 
to give us the best picture we have moving forward of who he is. This is how he chose to come and be with us. And I think that if this is how God decided to come and be with us, it has some major ramifications. It it, it tells us some really important things about who God is. And and if we can believe those things, if we trust those things, it also has some big consequence for how we live and how we go about our life. So if this is how God saw fit to come and be with us, there's a few things that I want to touch on here. These aren't all the things, obviously, but these are a few that I think are really, really important to us as uh, we near the Christmas season, as we celebrate what, uh, what has happened here. The first is this, that because God chose to come and be with us by becoming a human being, here's what that means, he made the move toward us not the other way around. He made the move toward us, not the other way around. Now, before you turn off your ears or you like wad this up and throw it away because you're like, oh, that's like baby Sunday school stuff. I've heard that like my whole life. Like, let's stop for a second and consider the weight that that statement carries. That because God chose to become a human being, it means that he has made the move toward us, doesn't expect us to somehow claw our way to him. This is huge. This is massive. And this is really unique to followers of Jesus. If you go look at any other faith, like worldview or any other world religion, like this is not how it works. Pretty much every single other one flips this thing on its head. It says that you are messed up. They all agree on that. Like you're messed up, but Your responsibility in this whole scenario is to pull your life together, get yourself cleaned up, follow all the right rules, look a certain way, say the right things, and once you really get yourself together, once you are able to really present yourself nice and squeaky clean, then you can present yourself to God or try to get to that certain state that you're trying to get to, and maybe, just maybe, you'll be accepted. But it all hinges on you making it happen. That is not how Jesus functions. That's not how our relationship with God works. The reality is that God is pursuing you. God has been pursuing you and will continue to pursue you. It doesn't matter how fast you run or how far you think you can get from him. God is always pursuing you. And listen, I don't know what your motivation is for being here. I don't know what state your heart is when you, come, when you came in here, but I got to believe there are people in this room who believe I have to get myself together first before God could ever possibly love me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what happens in my deepest, darkest corners of my heart. I have some work to do on me. And then once I've taken care of some of that stuff, then maybe I'll go to God. And then maybe, just maybe, he could love me. I want you to understand that whether you're actively running from God or whether you feel so bound up by shame that you just couldn't possibly believe that he would care for you, I want you to understand he is actively pursuing you. He is right there on your heels. He's saying, that big burden that you are carrying, it is too much for you. You give it to me because my burden is light. That sin that entangles you, that, that are literal chains bounding you, keeping you, keeping you down, keeping you from moving forward, like my power can break those things. 
Like you think you figured out like how to find fulfillment in life or how to move forward in life. None of that will really fill you because I have the answer. I have life and I have it abundantly. Stop running. Turn around and come home. For some of us, maybe you just are dead set in trying to run as far away as you can from Jesus. We just want, I just want you to understand, motivated by incredible love, Jesus has made the move toward you. Jesus is pursuing you because he loves you. Maybe you do have a relationship with Jesus, and at, maybe at one point you kind of you understood what this meant, that Jesus would make the step to you. He, he's not sitting on some gold mountain somewhere, and he's like, well, once you get your life together, come on up, we'll see what we can do. Instead, instead of telling you to, to cover your mess and clean up your mess, he decided to step into your mess, live a perfect life, but step into the messiest of situations we could imagine. Maybe at one point you understood that, Maybe at one point we wrapped our head around that, but then we still find ourselves going back thinking, well, to sustain this, to make sure that that God still loves me, I need to do these things, I need to be about these things, I need to make sure to at least look this way so that God would love and accept me. I think about it like this, um, and I think it brings some clarity on what we're talking about here. When I was in college, uh, it was a small Christian college, and they had these things that were just basically like Christian dances. They were like prom. You couldn't call them dances because it was a Christian school, so they were banquets, right? And they were just, I don't even know why we were doing it as like 20-somethings, but they were like proms. They were like Christian proms when you were in college. I don't know. But everyone was real excited about them. Everyone was real pumped about them, and there was always this kind of like frenzy because as soon as they announced the date of the banquet, they did a few a year, there would always be this like mad rush for all of the guys to figure out who they were going to ask, and they'd have to think up like some real creative way to ask them so that they would say yes and, and make it real quick because, you know, if they decided to go to somebody else, then you'd get rejected. Nobody wants to experience that, right? And so there was this like real like intensity that would just come on like every single guy on campus because guys were generally the ones that would ask the girls. And there was this pressure to really make the move, make that first move and make it quickly. And so I went through that a few times and it was, it was kind of stressful. You wanted to make sure to do it right and clever and all that sort of stuff. And then a few years in, uh, the college had this great idea that they were going to take that idea and flip it. And at one of the banquets, they decide, oh, we should do a Sadie Hawkins thing where we'll have the girls ask the guys to the dance, or to the banquet, and um, we'll just do the whole Sadie Hawkins thing. And so all of a sudden, all of the pressure was off all of the guys, and you would have thought a bomb went off in all of these girls' like relationship circles. They were like, no, we don't know how to do it, and how are we supposed to do it, and this is so difficult, we're so stressed, da-da-da-da-da. And all of a sudden, like all the pressure was on the girls. Now I remember, I remember being in that moment, during that time, and I remember being kind of conflicted, where I was like, it's really nice that I don't have to make the first move here. It's really, it's kind of nice that my responsibility in this whole thing is simply to respond with an answer. It's kind of nice that I just have to respond with a yes. But then at the same time, I kind of struggled with feeling like I couldn't, I couldn't like manipulate this and like plan these things and, and come up with this creative thing. And, and it was like I had to let go of some control. And so I struggled. 
It was nice that I just had to respond, but it seemed like, oh, no, I should probably be doing more. And I really do think sometimes that's how our relationship with God works, where our only responsibility as Jesus is pursuing us is just to respond with yes. But we get so gummed up and messed up thinking like we have to make the first move or we have to bring something to the table. Jesus has done all the work. Our job is just to respond with a yes each and every time. Second thing that I think that we can see through the incarnation is the incarnation, God choosing to be with us by becoming a human being, it shows us that God sympathizes with us fully. He knows exactly what we're going through. We have to remember that how God chose to be with us was him embodying all it means to be human. He ate, he slept, he laughed, he hurt, he was tempted. He experienced every single thing it meant to be human, which communicates something pretty powerful to us. That sometimes, as separate as God feels, as far off as he feels, we can count on him knowing exactly what we are feeling, exactly what we are experiencing. You have never experienced a heartache that God does not understand. You have never experienced a temptation that he has not endured. You have never experienced joy that he hasn't been able to identify with. That is excellent, excellent news. Hebrews 4.15 says it like this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. There's this this, uh, theologian from the late 1800s named Benjamin Warfield, and he had this to say about how God can sympathize with every single thing we go to, and I thought it was a really great way to, to capture it. He says this, The glory of the incarnation is that it presents to our adorning gaze not a humanized God or a deified man, but a true God man, one who is all that God is and at the same time all that man is. And that means this, one, this is beautiful, one on whose almighty arms we can rest and to whose human sympathy we can appeal. The God of creation, by choosing to come be with us in the way that he did, enabled us to be able to feel every single thing that he's felt and he's felt every single thing that we have felt. God knows exactly what you're going through, and that is incredible, incredible news. Last thing I want to touch on real briefly, and this one is the one that has messed with me the most over the past week, is God choosing to be with us in the way that he did, God choosing to become a human being, and how that all went down, I think it shows us just how different God's kingdom is actually supposed to function. I think it's this incredibly practical example of how we think the world should look and function one way, but Jesus, from the moment he steps onto the scene, dismantles all of that. Because I got to be honest, if I can just confess this to you, like sometimes I struggle with why the Christmas story goes down the way that it does, right? Sometimes I struggle that Jesus was born as a baby into the scenario he was born into because in my infinite wisdom, I would do that differently, right? Like, Like, wouldn't it make more sense for God to just poof himself into existence as, like, this bodybuilder with, like, this flowing hair that was always moving, like, in slow motion somehow? Like, a Fabio-type guy, you know? And he, with an angelic army, and just poof into existence right at the foot of the throne of whoever was the ruler at that time and say, dude, thanks for keeping the chair warm, but I'm here. I'll take over now. You don't need, we don't need you anymore. 
Like, wouldn't it make so much more sense for him to be born into wealth and to have charisma and for everyone to be attracted to him? Like, wouldn't that make more sense, at least through our human conception? But that's not the picture that's painted at all in Scripture, right? What do we see in Scripture? We see God choosing to be with us through an illegitimate pregnancy. Because you know no one was going to believe them. You think anyone believed them when they said, oh, it was the Holy Spirit. I guarantee there's people who died assuming that Mary and Joseph just had poor self-control or maybe there was another guy in the mix, but it certainly wasn't the Son of God. Not only that, that he would come from a nobody, from an area that people would describe as like nothing good could come out of there. Not, not in the comfort of a home surrounded by people that they love and cared about, but in a place where animals slept, surrounded by animals and the keepers of animals. That not, not born into any kind of like safety or security, but instead was basically on the run for his life from almost the moment he was born. Like this is not how kings enter the world, right? This isn't how heroes enter the world, but this is how God chose to show us himself most fully. It didn't end there. Philippians 2, 6 through 8 says this, talking about Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but instead he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, nothing, like a little fragile broken baby, taking the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, I feel like I harp on this all the time, but I think it's because I struggle with it still so intensely. Like if we ever get to the place where we feel like God's kingdom and how it's portrayed in scripture and how Jesus talked about it and how Jesus showed it through his actions, if we can ever get to a place where we think God's kingdom's kingdom can comfortably hold hands with the way that the world functions, we are dumb. Like we are so off base if we think that those two things can happily skip along the road together. Like if we are really going to take seriously what Jesus says and how he calls us to live and all the way from when he first came onto the scene shows us, we have to be okay with God's kingdom looking so different than the way the world looks around us. Jesus made that abundantly, abundantly clear. Church, this is what it means for God to be with us. This is what the effects are, that we have been shown what kind of new life we are being called into. It's a little crazy. It's a little wild. It's the best kind of life we could possibly live. That we serve a God that doesn't sit like distant, far, disconnected from what we experience, but instead can fully understand every single thing we go through and can be trusted in those experiences. And that this Jesus isn't waiting for you to get your act together. Instead, he made the move toward us. He is pursuing you. What we are left to decide is what will be our response. And all this says to me, that God was not content with a FaceTime relationship with us, with us being with him in part, but instead he stepped into humanity to look his creation in the eyes and fulfill the name that he was given, Emmanuel. God really with us.